1: Hello,
2: everyone, and welcome to the Press This WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at WPDavidV, and you can subscribe to Press This on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or download the latest episodes at WMR.FM. In this episode of Press This, we're going to be talking about modernizing a WordPress site, and this is the important part without ruining online sales. And joining us in that conversation is Mr. Raj Subramanian. Raj, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Fantastic, and, and excited to have you on the show. I think you know when people, uh, at least our audience, anyways, often, of course, um, WordPress developers, uh, digital marketers, also, of course, optimizing sites. I think there's uh, a lot of folks that kind of take that process for granted, that their changes are actually going to have a positive effect on the site. But of course, I think many of us have realized after having done this for a while that um, that's actually not always the easiest thing to do. And there's a lot of trouble you can get into when you try to improve a site, potentially uh torpedoing some of the value that's built up over the past. So I'm really excited to talk about all this in today's episode. Um think about, talk through some of your strategies and approaches, of course, for approaching modernizing sites without ruining online sales. Um, but to kick, kick us off, Raj, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your WordPress origin story. Uh, what was the first, when was the first time you used WordPress? Uh,
3: about five years ago. Like when I started the WordPress, and I started building sites for WordPress, it was like my first time, and it was a complete accident. I worked in the games industry and the mobile apps industry for about ten years, and when I began, WordPress was just my way of starting a life of freedom. I just wanted to be a digital nomad, so that's how it began.
2: I like that. You know, I've talked to, asked that question of everyone. I've been on the show, and we've always had uh, a lot of, of course, different answers. I think we've had very few where WordPress was their very first experience building sites. Um, but I know that there's uh, definitely a lot of similarities in terms of some of the freedom that it uh, has delivered to some of our guests. sounds like that's also been a benefit for you which is super cool um, I was wondering if you could briefly tell me about your business tell me about how what kind of work you do for your clients um, tell me a little bit about the services you provide
3: okay so I primarily deal with redesigning of WordPress websites that are generating sales and leads that your business depends on daily and usually clients come to me because it becomes a nightmare to maintain. So it's like even the basic mundane tasks are really hard to do and we're spending a lot of time wasting a lot of team members time. So we really need this turned around and there's a lot of moving parts and we don't know like probably 50 plugins and things like that. And then I I go in and I help them turn it around so that uh, it becomes, quote-unquote, a breeze to use every day.
2: So they kind of have this legacy, not only of value that's built up, but of technical debt, of things that maybe aren't being updated correctly or at all, and you're kind of coming in to, quote, save the day, but that folks, of course, don't wanna mess up the value that they have. They wanna benefit from modernizing um, and hopefully even improve that growth, but but it sounds like most of, if not all of your customers are like, hey, I wanna make this better, but I don't wanna ruin the funnel that I'm relying on today. Is that a good characterization?
3: Absolutely, yeah. That's their primary requirement because they know that uh, their website is something that their business depends on day in and day out. Mm -hmm. I do get a small percentage of customers who aren't coming up with a nightmare setup. They just want to uh, wanna be in a place of just, I just want to upgrade, you know? Like I don't want to be with this old website. And there's a small amount of cases that uh, are just, I just want to improve.
2: So I think if you, you know, engage as a business owner or a stakeholder inside a, say, a big business, and you're like, oh, um, as a, as a developer, they... Uh, look at the website that's there now and they think, oh, they should change this and they should change that. I could do this better and I can do that better. And I I think that people often kind of anchor themselves in in those kinds of ways of thinking before they start a project. Um, But how do you think about that? How how should agencies and brands be thinking about like the site's equity before they start the redesign? Like how do they acknowledge that and make that part of their planning process as you will?
3: Well, when you... Say site equity, I would first recommend that do not redesign. That's the number one thing I say, avoid a redesign as much as possible if you can, right? So you should not be thinking of a complete redesign. The second thing is a site's equity is all about the content and it's not about the shiny new technology or uh, sometimes clients come to me and say, hey, I saw this new plugin or a new software service and it looks really appealing. And so let's just change the site. So I stress again that uh, sites equity should be thought about in terms of the content and not about the technology behind it.
2: So it sounds like then as people, it sounds like when you're thinking about equity and you're thinking about preserving it, you kind of mentioned that, well, you know, maybe a redesign isn't what you want to do if you're trying to modernize to get things up to date, make the backend easier to manage that the more you mess with the redesign, Uh, the more you mess with the funnel. Is that the fundamental philosophy behind that notion?
3: Absolutely, yeah. If it's not broken, don't fix it. First of all, that's how I used to, uh, what we say in the engineering world before I moved on to WordPress. So yeah, so we we try to keep the content as much uh, the same as possible and try to just change the flow, the connections, uh, probably a few plugins and things like that. So that's the most important thing.
2: So, I mean, like every business though wants to grow. So like, I guess growth would be a reason why they might want to try a new approach to the funnel. Uh, But are there any other drivers that you found in your work that you feel led you to changing the funnel even though you might not have wanted to? Like if, if it's not broken, why would be some reasons you'd want to change it?
3: Oh, that's a great question. So if it's not broken, The only reason to change would be, of course, growth. But also, you're missing out on a lot of opportunities. So let's say your website uh, already has existing organic traffic. If you're not already having a funnel that is easy to test different things out, you're already missing out on a lot of growth opportunities. That's one of the main reasons why I think uh, a redesign of a site or redesign of parts of your site are important because... It's like if you have the liberty to test two versions of a page with an incoming traffic every day, every hour, you should be doing that. If you're not, you're basically missing out on all those opportunities. Does that make sense?
2: It does. And I I kind of like how you frame that through the lens of testing. I think a lot of people, when they tackle a redesign, they think, oh, oh, you should change it because you're not following best practices or you should change it because the UX should behave like this or you should change it because it's ugly. But, um, and then they kind of, in, in some people's cases, would then stand behind those statements as if that was the end of the story. And the reality is you don't really know it's going to happen until you put it out in the wild. Um, so when you do redesigns, are you, are you testing like every time? Are you kind of measuring before and after? Are you A-B testing? Like, How do you know that that new design is even worth its uh, effort?
3: So, the first thing is to basically know where you are at. So, um, you'll be surprised how many people don't measure this, right?
2: Um, I'm not surprised. Just, I've
3: been through it, Raj. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So, I was surprised when I started uh, going out and finding out how many people don't measure that. Like They don't really realize uh, the different metrics that are important uh, to measure before you even start approaching a redesign of course you have a funnel that's working and you see the leads coming out at the end of your website and you see the sales coming out, but they don't really know at what points, what drop-offs happen, what conversions happen and all those things. So, yeah, so that's what you start with. And first step is to first measure everything. And then from that point onwards uh, you start evaluating what you want to improve. And then based on what you want to improve, you start strategizing around what you need to redesign. So I basically start from the bottom.
2: I think that's an interesting response. You earlier asked you, uh, how should agencies and brands think about their site's equity before they redesign? sounds like one of your tips is to actually measure it and know what that equity is, uh, which I think is a very salient point. Um, I I have a lot more questions. There's there's a lot more areas. Of course, people can kind of quote mess up a website during a redesign or modernization. Um, We're
1: going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more press this in just a moment. That's podcast.wmr.fm
4: It passes before it's noticed A slight rising of the eyebrows A widening of the eyes It may be accompanied by an almost imperceptible inhalation The heart adds a beat like a quiet exclamation point on the experience Within a tenth of a second the reaction has passed But not without leaving its mark Someone found what they're looking for Visit intendedpodcast.com or find us where you get your podcasts. Intended Consequences Marketing on Purpose.
1: LPO, Landing Page Optimization, where we make marketers great using design, data, psychology, and attitude. Join our host, Brian Massey, best known as the conversion scientist, as he sits down with leading marketers to help you create campaigns that deliver. LPO, only on webmasterradio.fm. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on webmasterradio.fm. Well, everyone, welcome back to Press
2: This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. We're in the middle of our episode talking about modernizing a WordPress site without ruining the online sales. Raj, right before the break, you were talking a little bit about how some of the brands you work with, I know this is very common, uh, don't measure the equity of their site before they start. I thought your last point to basically say, well, you should do that before you start messing around with stuff, of course, is very appropriate. Um, but I want to kind of switch gears a little bit now and I want to talk about SEO migrations. I think this is another area that a lot of developers will overlook in a website, um, not realizing that, hey, when I you know change the design, when I change the layout, when I change the URL structure and so on and so forth, um, that I could actually really mess up the SEO if I, if I do that in the wrong way. So like from the high level, uh, what sort of areas do you think developers should be thinking about other than like the obvious like URL redirects? Um, when they're doing a redesign, uh, how do they think about that? What are the big boulders, if you will, that they should think about for the SEO migration side?
3: So the first uh, thing, obvious thing for me would be the on-page SEO. So everything that's important for an on-page SEO, you need to completely run it through a spider and uh, take a backup of it. So that's the first thing. When I say on-page SEO, I mean H1, H2, H2. Uh, links, titles, URLs, everything. Right, That's the number one thing I would say. Second is I also uh, go a little bit into Google Analytics. I take a, a report of what are the top 10, 25, 50, whatever, depending on the size of the site, uh, pages that are receiving traffic. And then I try to map the funnel and then have the most important pages of the funnel uh, listed down. Um, yeah, so that's, that would be uh, the first thing. Apart from this, I also probably would take a note of all the plugins and the shortcodes associated with it so that when you do move over, you don't want to be left with a bunch of pages uh, and some ugly shortcodes floating around, which again can affect your SEO. So those are some of the things that people have to take. Do you also go
2: through the step? I know I've done this quite a bit in the past where like before we redesign, we do a ranking analysis on their pages and how they're performing in SERPs. Um, In other words, you you mentioned earlier that if I'm going to mess with the funnel, I should know what my starting point is. Are you also doing that for the SEO migration side of the sites that you're improving?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So when I mentioned Google Analytics before, uh, there is a section in Google Analytics called landing pages, which is like your entry point to your website. So you can start from there because that's going to give you a good uh, idea of what are the entry points of the site, uh, what are the most important ones at least. And then uh, the second report uh, that is helpful is there's something called as uh, the path, right? So if you choose any important point of your funnel, Google Analytics automatically tells you what are the uh, what are the two previous pages people have visited. So that's another important thing you can take it. And then uh, you take all these pages, important ones, and then you run it through an SEO tool and do a ranking analysis so that you have a report of, okay, this is where we stand. And then once you do the redesign, you can kind of closely monitor that to find out, is it being changed? Uh, am I dropping off? by, I don't know, 10, 20 points on Google, so all those kind of things.
2: Yeah, I think that's super important. I can't count how many projects I've uh, run across or or kind of come in to fix, if you would, where the developer paid no attention to the SEO equity of the site they redesigned, uh, haphazardly throwing H3s and 5s and 7s around in odd places, um, deprecating pages that were valuable. I love how you gave the tip to look at the landing page report um, to see what pages are valuable because sometimes it's not obvious on its face. You might have some support article somewhere that ranks number one for some keyword that's really valuable for you. And the developer might think, Hey, that's, that's actually not that important to the site or even the stakeholder involved with it. Cause again, as you pointed out, even your clients as an agency um, or the business owners above you and say a uh, you know, big company uh, may not even know these, you know, intricate details to this. So uh, retaining that value is super important. I wish we could A-B test SEO. Unfortunately, I don't think that's really much of a choice. Um. Um, I I think knowing (laughs) where we... we yeah, yeah, that would be fantastic, right? But I think that notion of like knowing where you stand in the beginning, knowing what pages are most popular, where they're getting their traffic from, if they're getting it from search and then saying, okay, what are the actions I'm going to take to preserve that? And then to to follow up with that to say, did I actually do that? And I'm guessing also probably even have a rollback plan should things go terribly wrong. Um, So earlier you talked about, or, you know, we were kind of generally talking about, well, look, I need to measure before I start my redesign and after, if I'm not going to do an A-B test, Um, and of course, obviously the A and the B in an A-B test, but what sort of things do you suggest people measure uh, during a redesign process? We've talked about SEO, talked about sales. What other kind of KPI do you think people should be looking at?
3: One important thing I personally recommend is absolutely the speed. Right? because uh, there's enough studies to com- uh, directly correlate speed uh, to the amount of sales and leads generated on, on websites. You, know, you make a simple Google search uh, and you'll get a lot of infographics. So that's a very important thing. And I'm personally a fan of pages that just load instantly. And uh, that's one of those things. And are I- we talking about things to measure during a redesign or after a redesign?
2: Uh, I suppose it either, but maybe the distinction between those two would be interesting as well. Uh, but yeah, during the redesign process, what data should people be paying attention to?
3: Yeah, like I said, uh, during the redesign process, uh, most data is the on-page SEO, uh, the landing pages, the speed, uh, loading speed of your pages. In some cases, you can also go dig deeper inside WordPress. Uh, there are plugins that help you uh, find out how long each and every plugin and every stage in your page takes, uh, but it's not necessary for all the websites. Um, as, as I
2: hear you talk about like that part, in other words, what plugins did I just install and how are they performing in terms of my visitor's ability to load the page and so on and so forth, it reminds me of a point a uh, representative from Google made during the WP Engine Australia Summit, which was to set a performance budget to say that I don't want my pages to load slower than X. I don't want them to have a greater mix of JavaScript than Y um, or images and so on and so forth. Uh, but basically to say, it's not just, you know, did that page I launched make money, but also um, what was its performance in, in addition to things like, does it match my brand? Or does it match your voice, but like the speed is part of your QA process, um, not just something you randomly think about later. Would you say it's part of your QA process, Raj? Are you like measuring it as you make a new page or a new redesign?
3: It's actually the first step. So when I start a redesign, one of the goal that is like lays in the fundamental, uh, you know, rules of the redesign is that all the pages load within X seconds. And it's usually two to three seconds or maximum four seconds for certain complicated pages. Uh, So we start with that as the absolute uh, kind of base benchmark, right? So every page before you design uh, if you have that as your goal, then the entire redesign, when you think, you think of whether this element that you're going to add is going to affect that. So it could be a, a massive image, uh, for example, or it could be a complicated script or a, a tracking code or, or or a plugin that fires on only a few pages, right? And another thing I really, really recommend is images. You have to take care of your images and it's one of those Uh, It might sound really simple, but it's one of those really common mistakes that people make while redesigns. And then oftentimes, at the end of the redesign, it comes back to bite you. You know, you you go back and kind of, again, resize, redesign. There are a lot of plugins that help you uh, automatically compress, resize the images to the right size. And that often saves a lot in terms of uh, everything, speed, conversions, engagement, Uh
2: I like that way of thinking about it because it kind of puts some some limits. I mean, obviously, you weren't trying to use your imagination during a redesign, but I think that, like, so many people's answer to, quote, make it pop is to add a bunch of big images, and, of course, that can uh, have a detrimental effect on the page load time. So, I really like how you've kind of incorporated that into your workflow to say, like, well, not only do we want to make this prettier or better, um, but we also want to do that in a performant way that's You know, friendly for that end user, friendly for your bounce rate, and of course, also friendly for your conversion rate. Super interesting points. Um, I do have some more questions here, uh, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be
1: right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. Let's press forward with more Press This, only on webmasterradio.fm.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. We're in the middle of our episode about modernizing your WordPress site without ruining online sales. Very valuable skill. Uh, Raj, right before the break, you were talking uh, quite a bit about how you leverage page speed as a KPI in your uh, kind of measurement, um, I guess strategy for uh, approaching a redesign. But I kind of want to ask you this question. So a lot of redesigns happen um, all in one go. There's no AB test. You're just like redesigning the whole thing. Um, What do you do if the new design fails? Do you like think like you should have a rollback plan or do you want to like, sometimes commit to the redesign and just like a B test it from there in order to maybe recover from lost sales from uh, a redesign. Like do do I abandon ship and go back to the old way or do I double down and stick with what I have and and try to make it better? How do you think about that?
3: Okay. So there are multiple facets of uh, dealing with this. So first thing is reduce the uh, probability of your design failing. Uh, So you do that by basically putting checkpoints during your redesign. So this is basically you you take a page and after every page is done, uh, we have an internal checklist of uh, is the speed okay, is it loading fine, and a bunch of other things, right? That's the number one thing. The second is to answer your question. Yes, you should absolutely have a rollback plan, right? Uh, Just before you make the switch, we make a full backup. And uh, we have everything ready. Uh, so oftentimes, if you have a huge drop in terms of SEO or sales or leads, the best thing is to just have a rollback, right? That's the number one thing. But sometimes when you do a redesign, a temporary drop in SEO is sort of inevitable, right? And you can- Oh, that you can first
2: 30-day dip after you've changed everything out, basically.
3: Absolutely, yeah. So that dip, is not something you need to be alarmed about. Uh, oftentimes, you just wait it out. And uh, it's usually, if you do things right, it actually grows beyond what it usually was, right? So you are at uh, a certain position, there's a small dip. And then when it recovers, it actually overtakes the previous position. So that's what it happens.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, I know that I've had in my agency days, I would have a lot of clients that would get scared about that. And I remember that it was super important to set the expectation with them on certain kinds of redesigns um, that that dip was going to occur. And that's scary. I mean, you're sitting there in the 30 day, first 30 day window, SEO is down, sales are down. Um, so like, it sounds like what you're saying is if it's so detrimental that you should just roll it back. But if it's, you know, I suppose in some like level of tolerability and the, rebranding or redesign is important to you that you might want to rather iterate versus like rip everything out and go back to the old way.
3: Right, and uh, you can kind of separate the failure in two ways. One is, of course, the SEO drop, right? That, that's the, your incoming traffic. But what you need to pay attention to is your conversion rates, right? So if your new redesign, of course, the, if the traffic drops, but if the conversion rates have gone up, then it, it shows something about the new redesign that it's performing better, right? So you need to be uh, able to separate these two things and not get alarmed by just, oh my God, the traffic dropped. And of course the sales are going to drop, but what percentage, what's the ratio of uh, the sale or the re-drop uh, compared to the traffic drop? So that's something you need to pay attention to.
2: So it's kind of like a leading indicator that, hey, look, you might've had a bit of an SEO blip while Google... Um, you know, in theory, uh, gains trust again in your site as it kind of explores its new way of being, but that if you're able to convert a higher percentage of the traffic, that if you wait it out, um, maybe you get better SEO, but it seems that the conversion rates are higher and thus you would potentially make more money in the future. I think that's an interesting way of thinking about that. I never use that technique when working with clients. I did measure the conversion rates Uh, but never saw that as a mechanism to maybe alleviate some of the concerns on that first 30-day dip in SEO on a major restructure and redesign. Uh, Raj, I wish I could talk about this all day. There's so many aspects to this, but I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us today for this episode. Uh, Thank you very
3: much, David. Uh, The pleasure is mine.
2: Awesome, awesome. And thanks everyone else for listening to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on Webmaster Radio. <clears throat> As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at David at WP David V. Subscribe to Press This on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or download the latest episodes at WMR.fm. Again, this has been your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week. Unpress this.
5: The opinions expressed on this program